are finally over. Disney has officially announced plans to acquire Netflix, the once king of streaming. A revolutionary service in its early days, in more recent times, Netflix was the last opponent standing in Disney's path to complete control of the entertainment industry. Taking advantage of a years-long downward trend in subscription numbers and market value, Disney moved in for the kill when formal talks began late last year. In a rare instance of market consumer harmony, the move is being unanimously praised as Disney completing their acquisition of Netflix brings all of entertainment under one banner. Disney's spokesman, a literal Walt Disney hologram, talked about next steps, revealing an all-access pass to all of Disney's properties and products Disney won. He states, the end of media fragmentation is something we all have wanted for a long time, and now Disney is able to make that dream a reality. Disney won a single pass to a true world of imagination. Welcome to the UD. This is Factually Maybe. It's 2019 and streaming has already changed how we consider, conceive, and consume media. All of our music, movies, and even video games exist as intangible, near-ephemeral products in our phones, tablets, computers, and TVs. And from a consumer standpoint, it makes perfect sense. Pay a low monthly price for what seems like any movie or show in existence, a click away legally. Convenience, it turns out, has a very strong market no matter the industry. As of late, the streaming video market is undergoing a seismic shift in power. Netflix, of course, is at the top with the most subscribers and markets. And yet 2019 will go down as its most crucial year, one that will define what its future and indeed the future of entertainment will look like in the following decade. Netflix recently announced that it had missed subscriber growth predictions by almost half of what was anticipated which only adds to a few key issues that have been some time coming. Higher subscription fees deterring people and the fact that those that have wanted Netflix probably already have it in some form or another. Massive production costs coming from their original movies and TV shows, a $15 billion amount this year alone, and other larger legacy companies deciding to give it a go in the post-cable TV landscape of today. Once a kingmaker with this watch anytime, anywhere convenience and rapid growth, Netflix in 2019 is in a very different position than it was in, say, 2010, when it gave a critically acclaimed but criminally underwatched show a mid-series boost that would prove crucial to its eventual success, Breaking Bad. Of course, over the years, big properties, both old and new, would take their place among the ever-growing sea of thumbnails and recommendations. Disney, Marvel, The Office, or friends, which built enough leverage on the platform that Netflix would go on to pay $100 million to keep it on the service for one more year. In 2019, almost half of Netflix's top 10 titles are third-party licensed properties, 
and by this time next year, that will not be the case for a few reasons. By 2020, Netflix will be going against AT&T, CBS, Comcast, and in just a few months, Disney. That means that Friends, The Office, Marvel, and Disney films will no longer hold a spot in Netflix's top 10, because you won't find it there at all. It turns out, licensing from large media conglomerates means that eventually they will come for their piece of the pie. And in just a year, the cord cutter's dream of an internet plan and your Netflix or Hulu subscription might not satisfy your entertainment needs. Subscribing to all major services means that your monthly investment will more than double, in some cases costing more than current cable bundles. And Netflix finds itself having to raise both the quantity and the quality of its programming. Spending more on originals, licensing more national and international projects, and figuring out how to get into more wallets, all while trying to stop the bleeding in just the next few years. Its once part-time financing flirtations are now a full-time necessity. And with that, the guarantee of yet another price hike to offset its industry-high costs. But the exit of these massive properties, the snapping by these monolithic companies, brings with it a cruel sense of irony. Streaming and the larger digital marketplace proposes a dangerous precedent. The trading of permanence for convenience. The decline of video stores and, well, physical media is one of those things that mainly hurts in unexpected ways. And as easy as it is to call it nostalgic in the romantic sense, nostalgia does become unavoidable in a more practical sense. Like deciding you want to watch one of your favorite movies and realizing that it is nowhere to be found in any of the existing streaming services and turns out to be near impossible to buy physically. Or when an album you love disappears from Spotify, or a song sample wasn't cleared properly and the song is gone, or when the soundtrack to a classic video game has to be altered because certain licensing deals have expired. Inside Gaming has a fantastic piece on how streaming gaming platforms and digital retail can, has, and will continue to affect how we interact with games altogether. And even though it focuses on video games, we can swap that out for music, movies, or TV, and much of it remains valid. Netflix owned these properties as much as we did, which is to say not at all. And when the owners decided to pull them for their own platforms, Netflix had to either pay $100 million to soften the blow, create lesser versions, or take the L with no other options except to accept the void that will be left by these large chunks of its viewership pie. And this speaks to the most concerning realization of our current digital media landscape. You own none of what you consume. Not the shows on Netflix, not that playlist on Spotify, the $60 digital games, the movies you buy on iTunes, not even the books in your Kindle. Like Netflix, you merely license these things. You pay for the right to access them. And like The Office, Friends, or The Avengers, they can and will be taken away from you. The battle for your eyes and wallet is really a battle for control, for ownership, of your tastes, your senses, and even your behavior. To say the internet has changed the way we consume media is really understating it. These days we have an infinite amount of music, movies, and shows to enjoy. On the creative side, it has become something of an equalizer. That small YouTuber in his bedroom shares a platform with a late-night TV show. That girl with a microphone and a desk can be found in the same music platform as her favorite artist. 
and filmmakers of all ages can forgo the pitch to a large distributor in favor of uploading their film to Vimeo or maybe even make their production costs back through a service like Patreon or Kickstarter. There is art to be shared, stories to be told, and so much of it that the same meritocracy brought about by digital media and the internet becomes the reason for its biggest fault. We have disposabilized creativity. It certainly feels like everyone has watched that thing, heard that song, but really we just hit play, ride the viral wave, and move on to the next TV dinner. When you're sitting in front of your TV, holding your phone or tablet, and plow through five, six episodes or a whole season of a show, there's little room for analyzing, theorizing, discussion. If you like a show enough, bench territory approaches and you need to get through the whole season, be it a personal challenge, taste, or a desire to be part of an online conversation. And there's nothing truly harmful about that except, well, I wish we just took more time with things. Episodes blur into themselves, characters lose their names and arcs, and if you want to talk about it with someone, everyone has either seen one episode, half a season, or the full season, and this fragmentation builds an annoying panic around spoilers and a frustrating friction in simply wanting to talk about it. And the way media is produced has absolutely changed as well. In 2019, shows are 10-hour movies and movies are 10-year shows. And while that can work fantastically in some cases, sometimes it's obvious, the cynicism of it all. But on a positive note, having all these new services by massive players means only one really good thing, a content gold rush. The same way Netflix has financed or licensed smaller movies and mid-budget productions with diverse stories and styles, there is now much more money and platforms, and a larger market for new and refreshing voices. And that can be really cool to see. Now the only thing needed is maybe contradictory, but some level of curation, a human element. It's a joke at this point how often we find ourselves just scrolling and browsing through hundreds of thumbnails just trying to decide what looks good, what doesn't, who's in what, and just, sure, I guess. Now, I'm not smart enough to know the solution here. Maybe a new interface with a rotating set of critic choices, a clear top 10 most watched or best rated list, monthly themes, or highlighting smaller creators specifically. Of course, some of that might eat away at engagement metrics, which is why the interface keeps you in the carousel of content. But like I said, I'm not smart or paid enough to know how any of it works. What I do know is how it used to work. There's one near you. When I started writing this, I was only interested in the imminent streaming wars and how the way we consume media may or may not change, but I quickly realized there was something bigger to think about. Some concern that went beyond apps, platforms, prices, parallel proposals for your pupils. And even though I'm not satisfied with my own conclusion, I realized that it all circles back to nostalgia. My big confession is that I can't help but be romantic about it. Movie Nights brought to you by Blockbuster is how my love of films was born. Movies were truly like magic to me, so I obsessed over it all. I would watch every documentary and behind the scenes video I could find to learn how the magic happens. And when you look behind the curtain, all that's left is the presentation. 
through all the business bullshit, all the technical setups and choreography, the seen and unseen, what stage, platform, or box it lands in, all that's left is the moment the theater dims and the spotlight burns brightest and the magician takes the stage. And even knowing how it all works, she still dazzles you. The reality is, younger generations and those to come won't know what it meant to drive to your local video store on a Friday night, to browse hundreds of boxes of cover art, to memorize release date bulletins, or going to your local music store on release dates for your favorite artists, you grab that tape or CD, tear off the packaging and press play. They won't know about liner notes, thank you messages, having to turn the tape over for side B, rewinding a tape, playing that movie or album over and over because that's the one you got and there was waiting, there was a transaction and a ritual that led you to actually experiencing that work. It felt almost spiritual, a fuzzy link between you and the artist. And maybe you share that with your friends, your family, or your special someone. But more importantly, you got to hold it, inspect it. It was art you could touch. And you drove, walked, navigated physical locations to land at that moment. And you purchased it. And with that purchase came a contract of permanence. As long as you cared enough, that tape or disc would hold a place in your shelf or your binder. And hey, maybe next week, next month, or next year, you could return to that same copy. Maybe dust it off a little bit and suddenly the ritual begins again, at least one more time. And I think that's what I miss the most, the ritual of it all, the effort, the purpose, and the permanence. When a moment isn't, call it somewhat inconvenient, it loses weight. It lacks true gratification. It doesn't stick because it was never held in the first place. We live in the most connected era in history. The internet has completely obliterated barriers of access and discovery to more languages and culture, past and future, creation tools, and sharing platforms. It allowed that kid in her bedroom to reach the same masses as her favorite artist. It has allowed for entire revolutions to be organized, executed, and documented. There are more news, music, movies, and memes that we can literally count to, and it grows every single day. And that sounds amazing until it's not. And seeing all of it, we observe none of it. Modern life moves at a speed that is impossible to keep up with. The way we commute, communicate, eat, work, listen, and watch. And all that power is, quite literally, in the palm of your hand. On demand. But in the mind-numbing push for convenience, we signed away ownership. We gave up experience. We waived agency. Maybe the idea of a medium, or rather a format, with a built-in ritual that forces us to slow down, at least for a moment, should become more appealing. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, be kind, rewind. Thanks for watching. Like if you like. Share if you care, and subscribe if you'd like to see more content like this in the future. We are the UD, and this has been Factually Maybe?